so we've gone through 1 John and, and we're calling it keeping it real because I really believe that was the burden on John's heart to make sure that what was being called the gospel was genuine. What people were saying they were living as followers of Jesus was genuine because we are living in a day of such scammers. You know, you see all the, the great memes on Facebook, the, the woman that just says this, this man in India who is just so burdened for my car warranty. It just really blesses me that he's so concerned about me. You know, or uh, my brother actually, my older brother Jay posted on Facebook, I think, I don't know if it's he or his wife was at a store and the woman in front of him was buying a bunch of American Express gift cards because she'd been told on the phone that she had some bill or something due and she needed to send these, these gift cards to this address or to something. I mean, she believed it. So fortunately, somebody was in line near her that could tell her, you know, there's no way that you should do this. Although knowing my brother, he might have told her, I'm, I'm the guy, you can just hand them to me, you know, right now. <laughs> you just, yeah, you just, they're just such scammers now there were scammers then. If you read Second Peter, if you read Galatians, if you read First John, you get a sense. Even in those days, there were gospel scammers. And to John, it's just having experienced Jesus and seen him and given his whole life to him, and then getting that moment where he could he could see heaven and experience what he experienced in the Book of Revelation. It's just so important to him that as, as their lives draw to a close, that the genuine thing keeps being passed on. And that's how we've looked at this. And so he writes his, the gospel, and here's his burden in the gospel. He says at the, end of, at the end of John 20, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is one of the few books that comes right out and tells you this is why I wrote this. John says, I wrote this gospel so that you would see He'll use the key word through the gospel, signs. You would see signs that make you, uh, that verify who Jesus was, that he was who he said he was, and so that you would put your faith in him and, and have eternal life. That's why he's written, the, that's why he's written the, uh, the gospel. But then he writes this letter to those, those of us who have now believed to, to see how are you walking in this? What does this life look like? And how can you make sure you're experiencing the real thing? So you've got genuine saving faith. That's what he's protecting the gospel and he's protecting you and I from making sure we're believing the true thing and not something that's off. I don't want to get to, I don't want to get to my day standing before Jesus and find out, yeah, you just didn't believe the right thing. So that's kind of what's on John's heart. And so as we've seen going through the letter, he uses strong language. He calls, people's lie. he calls people out. He calls this a lie. He calls this person a liar because he, this is such an important uh, message that he's protecting. It's such an important thing. So he used that through. And then here in, the, here in chapter 5 where we'll read, I believe he's just tying everything together. He, he's closing this thing up before he gives assurances if you remember, if you were back with us months ago and we started First John, we started with verse 13, with the assurances we can have. And then we will backtrack to chapter 1 to see, okay, now, what do we need to know in order for these assurances to be ours? Because John wants you to know that you can be saved. He wants you to know that God hears you. He wants you to know that you can be free and not have to live as a sinner. He wants you to know that, uh, that this is a world that's going to be a hostile place for us. He wants you to know that you can know God. Those are the assurances he gives. And so he's writing in this place to kind of pull everything together so that you can know, okay, these are, I have a legitimate right to these experiences. I'm experiencing the real thing. So you're going to watch him, in a way, roll out the gospel in these verses. 
And there's going to be this element to this that the real gospel will make real progress. That's what it will do. It will not just save you, but it will, give, it will just continue to make progress in your life. And you'll see more and more of Christ coming out of your life. You've got them all, but just the reality of more and more of him coming out. And so that's, that's what it seems like he's doing in this moment where, from his point of view, he's handing the gospel off. His season is over, and now he's handing it off. And he's making sure he's handing off a good gospel. And so everything kind of builds on itself as he, as he unrolls this thing. Like if you have a, a gift, if you have, you have something that you're unrolling, almost like the scrolls in Revelation, you unroll it to a degree and you see something and then you roll a little more and there's a little more of it. And that's how this passage seems to go. So he says right in that opening that being bo- uh, believing leads to being born again. He says, uh, he says um, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He's remembering, you know, that born again, he had to think of Nicodemus every time he heard that phrase. Isn't that true? You hear phrases and they just kind of take you back to a memory. So he remembers Nicodemus coming. Rabbi, we know that you come from God. No one can do the things you do unless he comes from God. He says, well, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And then they have that famous conversation. And that had to be locked in John's mind for the rest of his life. And so he tells, he tells us, he tells the readers, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God. You've had this amazing restart to your life. You've had old you and new you. That's how scripture's going to look at you and, and how scripture's going to plead with you to look at yourself. That's who you used to be. This is who you are now. You might act a little bit like that person, but you're not that person anymore. You know, this is who God says you are. You, you might have the same name, might have the same circumstances, but everything about you is new. And so the scripture will keep saying about that. It's a new start. There's that element, almost like you've been adopted, because that's what the language scripture will will use, that we've been adopted into this family. You've been adopted into a family, and now you have a new name, you know. Uh, Hey, I meant to ask you about this, Cindy, but yeah. Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) Okay, thanks. (laughs) Just, you didn't hear that, yeah. So Cindy, when, when she was born, she was given the name Michelle. And then when the Barrett's adopted her, she became Cindy. And so, I mean, she was six months old, so that was an easy thing for her. But I had a teacher in seminary who was adopted at an older age and had one name, and then when he went into this family, they renamed him. They wanted him to have a sense he's having a new start. And so he had to learn, this is the new name, and this is who we are, and this is what we're about, and this is what we do, and this is what we don't do. When you're adopted into a family, you have to learn about that family. And that's, that's what happens with us. We're born, we're born and we're adopted and we've got a new nature and we live for a new kingdom and our purposes have a whole new life and we have a whole new family. All of that, John starts, this is where the gospel starts. You believe and so you're born again. And then because that happens, once you're born again, that leads to loving God and, and to loving God's family. That's an automatic that's, you know, when we have these, these babies who are going to be born in the next couple of months, when we have little Jonah born to Will and Alexis and little what's-his-name born to <laughs> Jen, and, Jen and Gavin, they are not going to have a conversation where they sit down with those little boys and say, listen now, you need to love us. You're, you're our son, and it's important that you learn to love us. Babies just automatically love each other. So I have to do this. Joy, Joy did not sit down. They did not sit down when Sadie was born and say to Luke and Bella, listen, this is your new sister. You need to love her. They just love her automatically. 
most of the time, <laughs> right? Because we learn not to love. We're born loving. We learn not to love. We learn, man, Sadie, you are cutting into my mom time, right? That's what goes on in little minds. And Sadie, you're drooling on my toys. You are, you know, all of these things that make us, I don't think I love you so much. That happens in church, right? We're here, we, we, you give me reasons not to love you. And then scripture keeps calling me to bearing with one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. And so we, see, we have to step over those reasons we give each other. But we automatically love God, we love his family. Just the things come out of that. Isn't that interesting that that's the greatest command? To love God, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because love is a great motivator. I mean, those of you that were brought up in different religious backgrounds where it was works, and, and you were working to please God, man, you just run out of energy doing that, especially if you don't know where the finish line is. And so you're just working, 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 and it's not like you can see the goal getting closer because it seems so elusive in that way. Or some of you that have been in relationships, or I hope not, but marriages where you just feel like you have to do, do, do to please this person. And, and you are not in a grace-based marriage, or maybe you haven't grown up in grace-based parenting where you had to do, do these things and you'll please me. Someday you'll please me. This is more like, I was thinking, this is more like first month of marriage, love. In your first month of marriage, and some of you went longer than that, we went way, way longer than that, for the record. Yeah. You know what I mean? First month of marriage, things are not complicated yet. And you're both just so happy to, that you're finally married and you get to be together and you're doing all these things together that, that it's easy to serve the other person. You want to do this for the other person. I mean, I've talked so many times, you know, that Cindy found out that I love Jell-O when I was married and we had seriously like 40 days in a row, every color Jell-O. <laughs> They could make. And it got to the point, I know you love me. I do not love Jell-O this much anymore. <laughs> but what is that? I love you. I want to do something for you. And that's what John is saying, that when you are born again, there's something in that new nature that loves God and loves his family automatically. That's why John just ties it out. This is the real gospel. This is how the real gospel rolls out. And so if we're adopted, you have to learn if you're adopted and some of you had had foster children or some of you might have been a foster child, you knew you had to learn this family. Oh, this is this one, this is this one. I have to know this is what you like, this is what, this is what annoys you, all of those things. You're adopted into a family. You've got to learn what works in that family and how that family works. That's how it is in the family of, of God. So John is telling you, if you've been born again, you are going to love God, but you're also going to love the family. And so you're going to make the connections in the family. And then he decided, let's not call this family. Let's make it churches. Let's make it local churches. And this is where he's speaking to this. The people ought to be able to look at you and have the sense that you love them. Not just because we're Christians and so automatic, but because you've had some interaction and your heart is spilled out or because in some ways you've served. It's not church. Maybe that's where we need to go. It's family. That's how it rolls out. And so, so he goes there. So then he says to us he, in this next step that loving God and God's family leads to obeying God. That, he, that if, you, if you do love him, if that's where your heart is, if that's going to roll in to obeying him. 
and I think I've gotten ahead of myself because that was the greatest command. Jesus would circle back on it the night before he died. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. That's why it's always hard for me, you know, when I meet people who are just, their lives have just gone way off course and they'll say to me, well, I still love God. It's not like I don't love God anymore. And I almost feel like in this season, I need to step into that and say, well, let me tell you what God says loving him looks like. Because John, who's trying to preserve the real gospel, says the real gospel says when you love God, you're obeying him. Because, you know, as I just said, love makes a great motivator. If you love God, you're gonna, your goal is going to be to please him. If you love him, you're going to trust him. You're going to feel safe with him. You're going to feel like he has your best interests at heart. Because isn't that what love is supposed to be? You see the value and you commit yourself to bringing the value out. That's what we've noticed all the way through this book. And then John will tell you from there, he will go to, if you're obeying God, then that's going to lead you to overcoming the world. You know, so many people, well, I have this, I, I just can't seem to get past this sin, or I can't, you know, I struggle with this, and I just can't seem to stop struggling with this. I don't know what, what that is. You have to backtrack to what John says. Are, are you obeying God? Look at how he puts that here in, in the Gospels. In, in, uh, in verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. That's an automatic to him. Everyone who's born of God, who's loving God, who's obeying God, overcomes the world. That's just cause and effect. That's not, wow, some people seem to really get this and other people don't seem to experience this. Or God seems to really help this person, but he doesn't really seem to help me. John is tying all that together, that if you obey God, then you are overcoming the world. Why is that? Because you understand his truth that help you pick up the lies of the world. Because you have the spirit of God who you are allowing to fill you and control your thinking, that minimizes the power of temptations because you're able to see through temptations. Because if you obey God, you know you're living in an evil empire. You're living under the system of the evil one. And so you're not really surprised when evil things happen. Disappointed, but you're not surprised. And so you, you know, you can see light and dark. You know, you know where to go. You know what directions to go in. You know where God is leading you. Fortunately, we know where all of this ends. This ends in the place my, he's preparing for me. This ends when we all get to sing in front of him, you are worthy. You know, nothing else we've seen in life has been this worthy. So that you overcome the world eventually. It anchors you to the truth when you're obeying God. You get a sense of these things are true and I cannot let go of them. This is the, this is the way that's right. So I don't get sucked into there's a way that seems right or there's a way that I wish was right, but in the end it leads to destruction. That's what the Proverbs will keep circling back and saying. So you, you'll be strengthened in obeying him. You become, you become stronger and stronger. He becomes stronger and stronger in you. And so you are able to overcome the world and, and not give into it and not, not lose to everything that it's throwing to you. And then John takes that and he rolls the gospel out and he says, those who are overcoming the world, they're the ones who believe that Jesus is the son of God. You believe that there is a victor. You believe that someone has overcome this world in this crazy way how things get flipped. I think one of the team prayed that. 
in this crazy way that things get flipped, Jesus Christ, who the world thought they annihilated, they killed him and put him away and got him out of the picture, then flips things and comes back as the victor over the world. And in that moment in Revelation 5, when, when they're trying to find out who is worthy to open this scroll of what's going to happen that God has, God has written all of that's going to happen into the future in this scroll, and there's nobody in heaven who can open it, who's worthy enough to open it, until Jesus comes and steps forward. You know, Revelation, where it calls him the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, that that lamb, that mark that the world thought eliminated Jesus, gives him the right to be the victor. You know, you, you, you can overcome the world because you, you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the victor. You believe that he has a victory for you. You know, when it says this word overcoming, it's a word of just conquering something or vanquishing it, just totally crushing it. Having this sense of finish him, like Douglas talked about. This sense that these things in the world, they constantly come after you. Whether they're the temptations that you keep giving into whether they're people that God has allowed into your life who are just so, so difficult, that you can overcome them because you believe that this victor has a victory for you. That you can maybe not have the person taken out of your life, but you can have what you need to still thrive with that person in your life. That's what you get to love about Jesus when he says, I've come so you can have life and you can have it to the full, that there's no, unless the following things are true. Unless you marry the wrong person or you get the wrong job or you, you park next to the wrong neighbor, however that goes. Whatever your situations are, he can enable you to overcome the world because, that's because of who he is. He's, he's Jesus who's the Christ. The world, the whole world, it said in chapter 2 and verse 13, lies under the power of the evil one. But this, this man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lives in you, it says in chapter 4, verse 4, let me read that. It says, little children, you're from God and overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he is in the world. So you are living in the world. He is living in you. So you're able to overcome the world because you believe who Jesus is and because you believe who he is, he's living inside of you. And so this sense that we live in, this powerful humility, God, I don't know what to do in this, in this moment good, you don't know what to do, but I'm living in you and I can give you my mind and my insights. God, I'm not strong enough to move through this next thing. I'm glad you admitted that because you're not. But in me, you, I can do all things. You can do all things through me. God I, God, I don't know if I have the patience or the love for this person. You don't. I assure you, you don't. But my love in you, you know, the fruit of the Spirit filling you allows you to love this person. I can't take this COVID stuff anymore, God. <laughs> I don't know what heaven's answer would be for that, except that, except that there's peace and patience in, in us that can thrive in that, all because we believe who he is, who he said he was. That's, what, that's the reality of faith. That's the reality that faith has effects. It's not that we've, you know, almost like Pastor Ted prayed, not that we believe these facts. It's that faith has effects. We believe these things, and so they begin to work in us and to change us. And that's why we grow in our faith, we grow in the Word, and it continues this transformation of us. Those that have been saved a long time, and those of us that had radical changes from a life we had in the past, we just have to lock into the fact that there is still more change God is trying to do in us. There's still more the Spirit to come out and, and empower us. 
So that's where John goes next as he, as he unrolls the gospel. And then he unrolls it from there. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we believe Jesus is the Son of God because of the clear testimony. This is an important one because we're living in a day where you hear that phrase a lot, I'm deconstructing my faith. And I grew up in this, I've always believed it, I've never really checked it out, I just want to deconstruct my faith. And I just meet so many people who are doing that who are not constructing their faith back. Because faith can be reconstructed. I mean, we have a a friend who said, uh, I've gotten to the point where I believe that there's a creator. So, you know how you always think of the thing to say like a week later? So I thought, okay, so if you believe there's a creator, do you believe that this creator has detached himself or itself from the world? Or do you believe that this creator is involved in the world? Do you believe that this creator is a personal creator or is an impersonal force? If he's a personal creator, do you believe that he set this world up with guidelines and, and rules, principles by which the world works best? If, you, if you believe in a creator who set up rules, do you believe that the world is living out those rules? If you don't believe the world is living out those rules, then what's your solution? Because Christianity walks through every one of those questions and brings you to, brings you to Jesus. And now I've got historical, you know, I can historically validate Jesus. So that sense that, that we have a clear testimony this is, in John, this is really one of the issues of what he's taking on, is the, this teaching that Jesus was not the Son of God. They believed, as we said along the way, there was a teaching that would grow into Gnosticism that said that Jesus was a man who, at his baptism, the Spirit of God came upon and empowered him to live this life, and at his crucifixion, the Spirit of God left him. But to say that he's the Son of God... That's, that's not true. And so that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons John is arguing so hard in this book that that is not true. All of these things roll out and we, now we come to Jesus, the Son of God, and we believe that because of the clear testimony. Look at how John walks you back through this of who the testimony is. Uh, um, he says, this is he in verse six, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So, I, my understanding of this, some people understand that this is the water is the bap, his baptism, that the blood is his death. I understand because the issue is he's the God-man, he can't be the God-man. I understand it more to be the water of his birth because remember it says in John, you have to be born of the water and the blood. So I think, I think John is saying he was born water, and he's a natural birth, human being. And, he's, and, and, the, and then he has blood, he has a natural death. Because they would say, well, God can't die. So you have that thing. You have a normal birth. You have a normal death for a supernatural purpose. And so that's where you see Jesus. And so you have the water and the blood that give testimony to Jesus. He says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. That would be a favorite phrase of John. He's going to say that three times in the gospel. The spirit is the truth. And then he's going to say it here. He's going to say it in chapter uh, 4 and verse 6. He's going to refer to the spirit as the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth bears witness to who Jesus is. That's what Jesus said would happen. Remember in the upper room. He'll come and he'll bear witness to me. Because he's, he's come from the Father. And so he bears witness. He, he testifies this is true. One way he does that is just even in the hearts of believers. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And all of us have had doubts at different times. You know, am I really saved? 
especially in the early days. I mean, how many of us, you know, got saved or raised our hand 20 or 30 times just to make sure? But there's something about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you that just bears witness that you are, you are saved. You belong to us. Now what he does next is going to speak into the moment. So you need to stop acting this way. Or you need, to, you need to set that doubt behind you and just move forward. But one of the ways that the Spirit bears witness is just by bearing witness to us. Another way he, he bears witness is through the Scriptures. So you're reading through Acts and constantly they're pointing out the Scriptures pointed that Jesus would be the Christ. They're, he's doing that. And he's allowing people's eyes to be open so that they can understand the Scriptures, which is really the, the heart of everything. If it's not in the Scriptures then you can't believe that. If it can't be validated by scriptures, we should probably say multiple scriptures, right? Because you can find a verse, to, you can take, find a verse that can teach you anything you want, to, you want to believe if you twist it the right way. And then the Spirit also, he, he testified about who Jesus was by the miracles. You know, Jesus would point to the miracles. Remember when John the Baptist's uh, followers came to Jesus and John's in jail and John's having doubts about Jesus. Are you the one or should we look for another, they ask. And Jesus just sends him back with, tell him about the miracles. You go back and tell him what you've seen because the miracles bear witness to who Jesus was. And so when the gospel in, in Acts, when the apostles are preaching early on, that's what they're saying. A man who is attested to you and talk about the miracles that they would do. Or the apostles would do miracles, and that would validate the gospel. And I, I believe today you're still seeing that. In places where the gospel is going into new ground, you're seeing God verify that by miracles. You're, you're hearing all kinds of Muslims in closed countries come to faith because, because there was a healing. Because this person was healed, and they all realized, wow, they had prayed in Jesus' name that this would happen. And so the Holy Spirit validates and he bears witness through miracles. And then John goes on. It's not just Jesus' story. It's not just the Holy Spirit. You know, he says there in verse 7, there's three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and blood. These agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son and has the testimony in himself, whoever does not believe God has made him to be a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Now, what testimony did God bear about Jesus? At his baptism, he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. At the transfiguration, he says, this is my Son, listen to him. And then when Jesus is raised from the dead, the Father is raising him from the dead to validate who he is and what he has done. That's the testimony of the Father. And John is saying, you know, you get a couple people together and they tell you the same thing. Somebody tells you something, you say, oh, I can't believe that. And someone else comes and says, no, I saw it too. Now on the testimony of a couple people, you'll believe that. So John is, John is reaching out to us about the gospel. We believe Jesus is the Son of God because there's all these testimonies. He's writing in the midst of that. He's writing in the midst of the time when the Spirit is doing that excessively. And the Spirit can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. He's not locked down to, oh, the apostles were dead. You know, the apostles are dead now. I guess that limits me. He's never limited. He does things on purpose, though. And you just see so many of the miracles have a salvation, have a salvation impact. So, so you have all of these witnesses, all of these testimonies that are put together. 
so that, so that we can be confident. We believe Jesus is the Son of God because there's clear testimony to that. And then John says, he, he circles around and, and he says that if we believe the clear testimony, the, the clear testimony, what the testimony we believed is that we have eternal life in Jesus. Now watch how he, now watch how he says this in verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That came up the other night in the questions, you know, when someone said, uh, just kind of in passing, so do you believe, you believe that people that don't accept Jesus as their Savior or people, I forget how they put it, you believe that they won't, that they're going to go to hell? I said, I do, you know, and that, wow, I know, I know people that are great people who are, but aren't saved, and I said, you know, the problem is Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, or you have a verse like we have here in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's almost, it's almost verbatim what John 3.36 says. John 3.36 says, uh, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Here's the clear testimony that we have eternal life in Jesus. The part I love is how we've seen this all the way through this gospel, is this word at the very beginning, whoever. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God that does not have life. Look at the, the word that John uses in verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the, the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves those who have been born of God. All the way through this letter, all the way through this book, you are going to see God constantly say, everyone, whoever, whosoever will. You're going to see Jesus invite people in. You're going to see Jesus through the Gospels detour into places where people are very uncomfortable with who he's talking to as his way of just trying to communicate this Gospel, this eternal life offer is for everyone. And so you, you have conversations with people, like I do, that people just don't feel like they deserve that or they feel like they've just sinned their way out of God's offer. And nobody has because the gospel is for whoever. It's to everyone. It's to a person's dying breath. And, and I've, I've talked to people that were so close to eternity. I, and think of, of this one man we knew in our church in Maine, Carl, who just resisted the gospel, resisted it because of experiences he had or things, hypocrisy he'd seen and just who came to faith the day before he died. And they celebrated that in heaven just as much as, as the kids who've grown up in, in our churches who keep walking with Jesus. Just as celebrated. Everyone in every moment until it's, until it's over. That's this gospel. So look how he puts it though to make sure that this gospel gets protected. He says in, in 11, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us because that's the distinction of Christianity. We're not working to try to pay off what we've done. We're not trying to evil, equal out our good with the, the bad. We've been given eternal life. You know, it's a gift, not from works, uh, Ephesians says. And so we understand that forgiveness, that eternal life, comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through what he's done on the cross. It comes to the fact that he's taking care of every debt we've had with God. He's taking care of the unholiness that we bring to God and made us holy. And we just have received that by faith. And he, because of, he sees our trust in that, he has given us eternal life. 
And not only that, but we get to see, we already have it. It's not that, hey, I've signed this card, and I hope when I get to the gate, my name is on the list. It says to me, no, you already have eternal life. There's already something eternal about your life. I remember our home pastor, Pastor Hugh, used to say, eternal life is a quality of life. It's not just, it's not just, quanti- it's not just quantity. That was new to me. I just thought, I'm going to live forever. I didn't realize that there was a life of another kind already active inside of me. And, and that's what John is saying. The testimony is that we have eternal life. It's been given to us. We have it right now. And John, when people walk through that, he wants them to have these assurances. Look at the assurances. As I mentioned those in verse 13. I rate these things so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to have that assurance. In verse 14, this is the confidence we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He wants you to have the assurance that God hears you. You go down and, and he says, he talks about sin and he says um, in verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. So he wants you to have the assurance that you can live as a free person and not as someone who just has to sin. In verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He wants you to have the assurance that of course it's hard to follow God in this world because it's a world that's been handed over to the evil one. And then in verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. That you can have assurance that you can know God. You don't have to find out about him from me. You can know him yourself and you can grow in your knowledge of him and in your experience with him. That is John's, that is John's heart as he makes his way through this letter. He wants you to see this is the real gospel. And then he wants you to see in your life that the real gospel is making real progress and real advances in it so that you're being constantly transformed. That's, that's what's on his heart. That's the heart of, of this book and the message. The experience, if you are experiencing a life of following Jesus, then this is what you're experiencing. All of, all of these things as they roll out. If there's a breakdown at some point, if you're like, boy, that might be what John is saying. That is not my experience. Then you need to kind of, you need to backtrack to, okay, so where have I, if I've been born again, then he has put inside of me a natural love for him and for the body of Christ. If I'm not actively loving people, serving people, then where is the breakdown in me? Because the breakdown on my side, not on God's side, if, I'm, if my life is not going the direction that it should, then where am I not obeying God? You know, where am I obeying myself or where is obeying God too costly? Where am I not obeying him? If I don't feel like I'm living victoriously, then it's got to be tied to, it's got to be tied to my obedience. If I'm confident, if I can be confident that this, that life is even possible, it's because that I'm confident in who Jesus Christ was. It just all unrolls together for John. And if there's a breakdown somewhere, then you can backtrack, where did that breakdown happen? And either you need, to, you need to, see, to believe, really believe and trust that it's true. Maybe you need to repent from being in control of this life. Maybe you've given yourself permission to decide who deserves to be loved, who doesn't deserve to be loved. Maybe you've, maybe you've given yourself the permission to decide what does loving people look like with my personality, with my experience, with my fears, with my trust issues, whatever those are, instead of just allowing the Spirit of God to have free reign in your life and how that goes. 
He wants you to have that kind of life. He wants you to have a certainty about that kind of life. If we would just close out to those of you that that might be something you've heard about, that kind of a life, but never a life you've stepped into. Because when John says everyone, anyone, whoever, he, he's including all of us. You know, and that day that I got saved, it was just a day when I realized everyone, whoever, included me. And I just stepped into that. Just decided to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he's who he said he was, that what he said he did was true, that he died on the cross to pay for sin so that people could be forgiven and have the assurance of heaven. I believed that on that day. And, and then as the pastor who's preaching, I surrendered to that. I surrendered myself to that truth. God, I believe that truth. I believe I can't save myself. I can't pay for my own sins. You know, I accept Jesus as my substitute. I accept him as my savior and as the leader of my life. I commit myself to him. And when I said that, it wasn't the words, it was the heart change. All of this life was activated in me. And we just would encourage those of you that maybe you're on the fence or maybe this is new, to step into that. This is eternal life that God is waiting to give to you. This is eternal life that God is hoping that you will live at a higher level for those of us that are followers of Jesus to take the next step up or to step into this family that he's created for you. But that's your choice. That's your decision. We hope you'll make that. So let me pray over us and then the team is going to come and and lead us in in a closing song. And then after the song, we're going to say goodbye to our lives, to the live stream. And just keep you for a minute, we have a couple of family news things we want to just let, let those of you who are in the room know about. So, Lord, thank you so much for your incredible generosity. Thank you so much that to you, it's, it's not enough. The millions of people that have been saved so far through history, it's not enough to you that you just continue to celebrate people that come to faith in Jesus. So I just would pray, God, in this room, you know, I'm hoping we have an amazing thing that you're offering to them about eternal life and about a life that will be forever with you in heaven and a life that will be a whole different quality. Boy, if that's you, would you just please step into that by faith? And those of us that have, that have come to know you, Jesus, would you please keep us from taking this gospel for granted? or from just making it about people being saved. And thank you so much for these verses you put on John's heart for what the gospel, when it's allowed to roll out, what it looks like, and the change that it makes in life. Would you allow us to experience the fullness of that change? God, we, we give you our lives. If some of us surrender is such a battle. I just lift those people up and just pray that they'd have such a sense of safety in your heart for them that surrendering would be easy just to know you have such good and you have such power to pull off the good. Lord, don't let us be complacent or satisfied with how we've walked with you or what you've done in our lives so far. Give us a hunger and a thirst for that next thing you have to do through us, God, to do in us, but especially to do through us so that more and more people can come to Jesus so that more and more ministries are raised up to make him known and make us walk in him in a deeper way. That's what we pray to the glory of his name. Yeah, amen.